Welcome, everybody, to the latest edition of the Cybersecurity Chronicles. We're glad you're here to listen to us again. This week, we have a special guest with us, uh, Mary Cero. Uh, Mary, by education, has a master's in, in chemistry. Is that right, Mary? That's correct. A degree and a master's in chemistry, moves her way into engineering, finds her way into engineering and IT, and decides that she wants to get into governance and the policy and procedure side of the house. Uh, Mary spent the last part of her career. Uh, she's now retired from IT Innovative or Innovative IT, which is an IT consulting firm that addressed mm-hmm. risk assessments, security strategy, and compliance plans in the health sector and the gov- local government sector, municipalities. Mm-hmm. Uh, Mary is still currently an instructor with MISTI, which is the MIS Training Institute. And welcome today, Mary. We're excited to have you here. Thank you, Sean. Thank you, Mary, for being here. So we have spent the last uh, several episodes uh, talking about where small businesses and the management and leadership can begin their path to increased security, reduction in risk, um, from a technical side and from a compliance side. And so we've given them a lot of tools, ideas, resources to start this journey. And for those that have started the journey, how do they start measuring their success <laughs> with what they've done so far? And I would imagine you have uh, a lot of experience in helping companies, organizations understand or at least look at ways to identify the uh, success of the plans or programs they've put into place and also looking at the efficacy of their investment. So Mary, what would you suggest to a small business or mid-sized business owner or management team? Well, I think uh, when you're starting out, you have to figure out what you don't know. And the best way to figure out what you don't know is to do some sort of assessment. So I always like a risk assessment as a start. I think it's really important to understand that when you're conducting a risk assessment, you're really conducting a business risk assessment and you're looking at risk to the business. Um, Yes, part of that includes a bunch of IT controls, but if you can't relate those IT controls back to some sort of impact to the business, then I think you tend to lose some of the executives. So I really do like a risk assessment is the best way to start that. And the best part about that is uh, there's lots of available information about how to do that, lots of free tools. I'm a big fan in, in free stuff for organizations. Um, you know, frameworks like the CIS framework and NIST. Not that other frameworks aren't good because they are, but if there's something that's free and something you have to pay for, why wouldn't you take <laughs> something that's free? <laughs> Absolutely. We agree with that too, 100%. <laughs> yeah. So when you're talking about a security assessment, uh, mm-hmm. which, where, which side of the house are you talking about? Are you talking about the policy and procedure side of assessing the risk there because they don't have it documented? Are you talking about the IT side because they don't understand or they don't may not have the right controls in place? I w- you know, we, t- we typically do different kinds of risk assessments. So we might start out with a high-level risk assessment that really looks at the potential for the business 
to um, not continue in operations or to have some disruptions or something like that based on not having what I call consistent, reliable, and repeatable operations. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, I I like a kind of a big overview one. You can always dig down into specific risk assessments of specific technologies or specific implementations. But I think a high-level enterprise risk assessment that includes policies and procedures and some of those key technical controls is a good place to start. So and when you say measuring about policies and procedure, do you mean just saying I have it or I don't have it? Or do you do you look into any efficacies on those policies and procedures during the process? Because it's an ongoing process, I would imagine. It, it is. Um, and so really the efficacy, but let me just back up a little bit because um, one of the one of my favorite topics, and I think one of yours is this topic of governance. And what I find often is that people don't have a good appreciation for what governance really means. Now, auditors generally have a much better handle on this <laughs> than IT people. <laughs> so That's a scary word for the IT people. <laughs> <laughs> it is a scary word. And so governance is super simple. It does four things for your organization. It, number one, helps you understand whether your activities are in alignment with organizational goals and objectives. So business alignment is one of the outcomes we look from governance. The second thing governance does is it helps make sure we achieve uh, value or benefits from our investments, whatever those might be. Uh, So value realization. The third thing governance does is it helps us First, the new word now is optimize our risk. I always like the word manage our risk better or maybe minimize our <laughs> risk even better yet. Uh, but optimize is kind of the newest word. So it helps us figure out what risk is all about and how to deal with it. And then the fourth thing governance does is help us optimize our resources. So all four of those things, um, if you do, if you practice good governance, those will be your outcomes. So how do you do that? Well, there's three kinds of what we call controls in the audit world that help us get there. The first are controls that help us evaluate what we're doing. So a risk assessment would be a control that helps evaluate. Um, The second uh, type of control is one that directs what we're doing or provides direction to the organization. So back to your question about policies, I see policies as direction setting instruments for the organization. Mm -hmm. So when I look at policies, I look to see that those policies are in alignment with organizational goals and objectives, number one. And then they, if you can't enforce a policy, then you probably oughtn't to have it (laughs) implemented. (laughs) So is it something that's realistic and enforceable becomes number two. And then does that policy give you the, does it help someone make a decision in the absence of specific steps or policies or procedures? So if I have to make a decision and I don't see any, any boundaries that tell me, you know, if the boundaries are blurred, I need to go to that policy to help me make what that decision is. So are those policies being effective? And then just to finish off the third type of control for governance, we really need to monitor our program to make sure our program is achieving its objectives. So a policy serves to provide direction to the organization. It's a direction setting instrument. And then as part of my governance program, I want to monitor that policy over time to make sure it's doing what I expected it to do. I, I know that was a long answer, but hopefully it got to the point. 
But that That's there beautiful. is one of the crossovers between mm-hmm. the governance side and the IT side because I would suppose that the governance side is going to be reliant upon the technology side to do that monitoring and measuring as a tool to report only, back, right? Yeah, only at a technical level. Um, right. You know, there's. Uh, it depends on what you so. From a policy perspective, we have two kinds of policies, right? We have organizational policies and we have um, technical policies, which are more configurations for systems. Um, So, for example, a lot of people call firewall rules firewall policies, as an example. Um, So that part of policy, the IT folks need to do really from a governance perspective, that's really below the radar. From a governance perspective, I want direction setting policies that say things like, uh, we believe in role-based access control, as an example. It doesn't tell you how to do what you're doing. It tells you what you should do. So policies tell us what to do, what we shouldn't do, and what the ramifications for not doing them. That's what a policy should do for us. So those are the kinds of policies I'm referring to. And that reminds me of the areas... Sorry, sorry, Stanley. Mm-hmm. But then you rely yeah, upon so- the technology side to implement something to facilitate that policy. Yes, and we rely upon audit groups to help uh, help us understand, help us test those policies to make right. sure they've been implemented properly. Right. Yeah, I was going to say that reminds me one of the conversation I have is the governance is a noun, <laughs> and then the technology group is a verb. So, and then that leads into the practical side and some of the customers that, that I work with. This is Stanley. You know what? Sometimes when we're executing an IT controls, and of course, by the time that we have done it, we have to schedule with our internal auditors. But when the time they say, no, it doesn't meet our governance perspective, we have to start all over again. And that could be days, weeks, or it could be up to like two months for mm-hmm. one negative comment from the governance side and we have to start all over again. And just because at that point, I wasn't in the meeting to interpret this correctly. Mm-hmm. So one misinterpretation cost the organization 60 days and that is an eternity for hackers. But it absolutely <laughs> is. And so you hit on another one of my other favorite topics and that is in the world of cybersecurity, um, some a lot of cybersecurity professionals have grown up in what I call the world of no, and they <laughs> and now True. they need to move yeah. into the world of how because it's a game of risk, right? right. So um, what we want to be able to always have in place, and this is what governance says: here's how you do how how we accomplish those four outcomes that we talked about. Is you should have exception processes in place. So a decision making process is a key element of governance. So if I set a standard, role-based access control is my standard, and I have a system that real the business really needs because it is uh, just going to make you know significant improvements in revenue or something like that, but it doesn't allow me to do role-based access control, then I should have some sort of an exceptions process that says, okay, let me look at how we can secure this, not no, we can't do it. How do we do this to get to an acceptable level of risk? And then once we get to that, then we can approve that as an exception. The problem becomes when your exceptions become the rule. Then you're not doing a good job of it, right? Right, right. exactly. Yep. Coming up with a very conveniently. (laughs) Yeah. 
So if if you're going to implement uh, a way to measure these policies and the mm-hmm. efficacy, are there any are there free tools out there or low cost mm-hmm. tools? You know, uh, I don't know that I know the answer to that. Uh, I know there are a bunch of GRC type tools out there um, that, and I'm sure there are some that are free. I don't know any off the top of my head. But, um, you know, from a policy perspective, I think the best way to really measure that is through some sort of audit process within your organization, which would almost free because you have to pay for your labor, right? Right. Yeah, 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 of course. <laughs> Is there but, and then you also mentioned you know CIS in which we are a big advocate of CIS as well. And from our perspective, from the technology side of things, we always look at that and then we actually um, help and, and, and make it more automated rather than machine by machine. We kind of deploy that in our customers' environment right now as we speak, and then tracking each device on a weekly basis and measuring against the benchmark. And, you know, that's just the technical side of things. But and then the CIS also helps with the mapping process to map to each and their very extensive library that they have, PCI DSS, HIPAA, HIPAA privacies, and of course, NIST, even including the CIS, uh, uh, ISO 27000 mm-hmm. series, and also into the cloud environment. Mm-hmm into what they should be. And that is what I refer as a reverse engineering and look at it from a technical aspect of things and then map it back into where are they missing or what they have missing in the governance controls. And then, of course, you know, engage with Mary, somebody like you as a consultant. Okay, you know, we are not, you know, focusing on policies and procedures or governance. That's where you might need to get help from the consulting perspective. And then, of course, each consultant may have their ex- uh, specialty in terms of the regulatory. But at least going back into what you refer and also the risk assessment methodology in the CIS, that's also something that you know you and I talked about that earlier, mm-hmm. which is something that we don't see very often to get the business executive to engage and to at least to evaluate whether that project is worth to do execute based on the company's objective. So, you know, can you speak a little bit more about the our uh, you know the risk assessment methodology from CIS? Um, absolutely. So, one of the things I really like I like a lot of things about CIS, um, and I like a lot of things about NIST. Um, when it when it comes to CIS, I like the fact that it really focuses on those prioritized controls that CIS recognizes you can't do everything. And so CIS really says, you know, start here and move this way through all of these, they call them safeguards now. And then they've additionally in versions seven and eight, they started something called implementation groups where they said, Hey, look at the number of resources in your organization. If you have a, if you don't have very many resources, at least do these. It doesn't say don't do all of them. It says at least do these. So it, it really does help some of that decision making process. The other thing that they do is I believe they have an online tool where you can actually, um, you can even download it as you can download 
uh, the CIS controls as an Excel workbook. So back to the whole free idea, um, you can download those controls as a workbook and you can measure yourself how you're doing against them. And I think that is just a wonderful tool for organizations, especially those that can't afford to go out and bring consultants in. The challenge then becomes an interpretation of those safeguards and you know what does this really mean and sometimes if you don't have the expertise in-house that's where bringing someone in to help you understand the intent of those controls can become really valuable so the risk assessment methodology uh, then takes that uh, assessment that you've done and helps you sort of semi-quantitate turns it into a semi-quantitative type number where you can assign numerical values to the impact it has on your organization as well as your percent of implementation. I'm not sure exactly the term they use there, but it allows you to come up with a number which is always easier to communicate with people. You know, people tend to shy away from high, medium, and low, but sometimes that's really the best we can get. But a number feels so much more meaningful to people. And so you know, applying that methodology to assign numerical values in CIS RAM is very helpful for a lot of people. Yes, I think that the, of course, that is just the start of the conversations. Mm-hmm. Yes, so at absolutely. least to get the, the board of directors, the business executive, you know, don't look at it from a governance perspective. Don't look at mm-hmm. it from a technical perspective, but very objective, business objectively and look at the, what the organizational mm-hmm. needs. And then, then from that point of view to, you know, of course, using the RAM, they can put the likelihood and mm-hmm. the impact level and the threshold that comes up with the threshold, what you're talking about, the calculations right. quantitatively. And, and of course, you know, the number, it, it, you can interpret the number in many different directions. But Mm -hmm. where we believe it will start the conversation collaboratively, objectively, Mm -hmm. and try to understand from the governance um, management perspective and then the technologist perspective to start having more meaningful and productive conversations. And then also what we also, sorry, one more mm-hmm. thing is just we extended that into how that in and map it into four different um, what we call the categories at this point mm-hmm. is just to identify what is that project going to be impacting with the revenue and also mm-hmm. with the efficiency. So in the categories, we break it down into is it revenue impacting? and impact in a positive way, what I'm referring to? Mm-hmm. Or is it just efficiency uh, uh, um, contributions with this project, efficiency? So sometimes that, you, you know, I'm a technologist all my life and we see a lot of fragmented solutions out there. And is it really true they do what they claim they do? Mm-hmm. There's a lot of uncertainty and unknown from the business executive perspective. Mm-hmm. And they're not gonna spend that kind of time to evaluate, you know, features by features. So that's why we recommend our client just to look at it, simply look at it, you know, how does that impact the efficiency or the revenue and break it down into something that they can digest in a smaller bite size so they can understand it better. So absolutely. And that's one of the neat things about that CIS RAM is it does give you that ability to, to break it into those kind of categories. You know, years ago when I was doing risk assessments, I was also looking for categories that would be meaningful. And so one of my categories was financial, which 
you know, you're uh, viewing as revenue. So that's uh, sort of consistent. I also looked at business continuity risk, um, efficiency risk. Um, so all, cyber risk was another one. So I, you know, broke it down into several risk categories, but I had to do it on, on my own because <laughs> there wasn't a CIS RAM available to me. CIS RAM gives you the framework to take those kinds of categories and create them so that from a business perspective, you can um, have that understanding. Because at the end of the day, you need to have a very short conversation with the executives. The CIS framework itself is great for the technologists and the IT operations people because it helps educate them and it helps them understand where they can get the most bang for their buck. And, um, you know, maybe even, you know, teaches them some things they didn't know. But the output of that that can be shared with the executives is what type of risk is it that you might have and um, that uh, one of the one of the key things is if you're from a regulation regulatory perspective, if you're subject to any regulation, whether it's HIPAA or whether it's um, GLBA or even if you're not subject to any of those and you're just under the auspices of the FTC, the FTC requires, and I think it's section five of the FTC, that you have reasonable security implemented. And in every instance, courts have interpreted reasonable security to right. be equated with a, a standard framework like a CIS, like a NIST. So, you know, since CIS is a little bit more palatable and easier to package and implement, but still has a lot of great value. It's a great way to satisfy that compliance risk and protect yourself from, um, you know, some sort of regulatory action. So for the CIS RAM as the business management, the CIS mm -hmm. RAM, is it uh, a little more concrete? Like the critical security controls that are evaluated with CIS, mm -hmm. it's yes or no, pass or fail. And oftentimes with the policy and procedure side, the governance side, it's a mm -hmm. bit more nuanced. It's an interpretation. Mm -hmm. Do we have it? Do we not have it? And so with that self-assessment many times, people, when we talk to them, we find that they are overly generous to their achievement of compliance than they truly are. And with the self-assessment, it can put them into a, a safer space than maybe they really are. Does mm -hmm. RAM make it more clear cut in a true assessment of where they are. You know, I don't, I haven't looked at RAM for a while, uh, for maybe a few months or a year. Uh, so I can't answer that exactly, but I'll tell you, I had the same issue where things are not black or white. You've not hundred percent pass or hundred percent fail. So when I used to do risk assessments, I would assign a percentage completion to it. And so I believe with RAM, and correct me if I'm wrong, you can assign a number based on the percentage completion and you could sort of get at that. I could be wrong about that because I haven't looked at it for a bit. But uh, That's my understanding of how things are. Yeah, because so. you're absolutely right. You Because you, organizations do get very generous. That's a very nice <laughs> way of putting it. <laughs> but at the same time, that way from our experience, from my experience perspective, there's always the third party auditor comes in if the company has, you know, have that kind of requirement to mm -hmm. set them straight. And and that's why, you know, from years ago is when I start helping our customers too. you know, it's like, OK, you know, I, I'm not going to put a work guarantee on my contract, <laughs> but because mm -hmm. I always have the third party auditor and come and, you know, question 
our work, <laughs> you know, at the end of the day, so it's not a, a, a at the end of the world, I should say, because we always have the time to fix the problems and 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 try to get it into a hundred percent. It's because the third party auditors always come and set us straight. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, you know, they don't always, sadly. Um, you know, I've had some conversations where at least in um, so in some of the federal space where we're talking about NIST, the first step in a NIST risk assessment is to assess your organization of high, moderate, or low risk, depending on what it is you do. And um, I've heard some people, they'll have some arguments that, no, it's not really high, when it's clearly high based on what the organization does. But <laughs> The, cons the consultant is wanting to be more conciliatory than honest, mm. and uh, that yeah. doesn't do anybody any good, really. Right. Well, great. Mary, we thank you very much for your time today. Some great insights, some good good ideas for people to take away with this, uh, and hopefully they learn something today. So, Mary, we appreciate your time. I hope to have you on for another conversation about risk and uh, understanding organizations' assessment of that. So, thank you for joining us today. Thank, Thank you, you Mary. Sean and Stanley. Happy to come back at some point. It was a lot of fun. Great. Thank Thanks. you. Great. If you'd like to know anything more about NetSwitch or what we do, you can visit us at netswitch.net. That's N-E-T-S-W-I-T-C-H dot net. Thanks, and we'll talk to you next time. Bye.